Chapters nine and ten of One Life, One Love by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Nine. Daisy's Diary in Milan. Lucerne was very grey and dim when we bade it good-bye yesterday morning, the last day of November, but when we had climbed nearer the snow peaks, the sun shone out over the beautiful white world above us and the dark lake below, and the rest of the journey to the mouth of the great tunnel was like a journey in fairyland what could be more exquisite than to go winding upward and upward into the great heart of the mountain and to look down on village roofs and winding streamlets and bridges and rocky gorges and vineyards and gardens and church towers even so far below the wonderful iron road that was taking us towards the skies i felt so sorry when that part of the journey was over and though i longed to find out what italy was like i felt very sad as i sat at the snug round table in the little station the last swiss station and sipped a farewell cup of coffee with mother and uncle ambrose it was a disappointment after leaving sunshine and blue skies above the swiss snow peaks to find italy grey and rainy with just that incessant drizzling rain which one has known from one's childhood as the mark of a hopeless wet day and which has been politely called a scotch mist of all the things i had thought to meet with in italy a scotch mist was the last but there it was and nothing would have reconciled me to the greyness and the rain except the red cotton umbrellas which were delightful and which made me feel i was in italy next to the red umbrella as an italian institution came the berceau the verdant colonnade made by vines trained over cane or wire leafy arcades which i saw in every garden and in front of the humblest houses sometimes on the tops of the houses sometimes forming a loggia on the upper story the vine leaves were turning yellow and red with a touch of autumn but they were still green enough for beauty the bell tower in every village church was another sign that we were in italy and then by and by we came upon the great dark blue lake lying in the bosom of mist wreathed hills and mother and i agreed that for all the bell towers the berceau and the red umbrellas of the peasantry we might have fancied we were in the trossachs and so as mr pepys says to milan where we steamed into a great metropolitan-looking terminus and saw cyril waiting for us on the platform in the glare of the electric light he had grown tired of the north and had written to his father to propose joining us on our journey to venice and with this intention he had made his way to milan amusing himself here and there as he came exploring odd nooks and out-of-the-way spots he was looking in high health and very happy i thought as he stood smiling at us in the electric light well we modest flower he said addressing me in his usual grand manner after he had shaken hands with mother and uncle ambrose welcome to the ancient kingdom of lombardy i wonder if you are as enraptured with italy as you were before your foot had ever touched the soil i'm afraid upon such an evening as this you'll find milan uncommonly like glasgow he took us to a fine roomy landau which he had engaged for us and we left the man and the maids to look after the luggage and drove off to the hotel de la ville in a narrowish busy-looking street that might have been fleet street or the strand for anything distinctive that i could see in it under that grey rainy atmosphere yes there was one superiority over fleet street in spite of the rain and the mud and that was the electric light which filled all the city of milan with its silvery radiance so that the night was like on to the day the head waiter at the hotel told us that there had been three weeks rain and i found afterwards that this fertile plain of lombardy which i am told is very lovely in spring owes its chief beauty to the damp and cloudy winter climate at any rate i was in italy and the very idea was full of delight i kept telling myself that this was italy 
and trying to cheat myself into brief forgetfulness of the dreadful story on which my mind had been fixed ever since that night at lucerne it was to be only brief forgetfulness for i had resolved to confide all my troubles to cyril to whom i could talk freely oh what a painful effort it had cost me to keep my feelings hidden from the dear mother with whom till now i had shared every thought and every fancy in spite of my endeavour to seem happy and untroubled she discovered that there was something wrong and i had to pretend that young lady-like ailment neuralgia from which i am thankful to say i have never suffered i was conscience-stricken at the thought of my own falsehood when i saw mother's anxiety she almost insisted upon calling in a doctor so i had to reassure her by a prompt recovery i told her the pain was quite gone but that the climate had rather a depressing effect upon my spirits this accounted for my talking very little instead of talking almost incessantly and this accounted for my sitting in my corner of the carriage thinking 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 all through that long railroad journey i have always liked cyril but i never felt so glad to see him as i felt that night at milan i wanted so much to talk to a man who knew the world and a man to whom i could express myself freely without any fear of inflicting an unpremeditated wound as i had done in the case of uncle ambrose so after dinner i asked cyril if he would take me for a walk and show me the outside of the cathedral to which request he assented very good-naturedly only bargaining for a cigarette in the hall before we started we had dined in our sitting-room on the first floor and we all went down into the gay-looking vestibule after dinner and took our coffee at a little table in a corner where we could look on at the people coming in and going out was mother happier than i had she forgotten the dead those were two questions which i could not refrain from asking myself as i sat by her side that evening our first evening in italy she looked so young and so beautiful that night in her calm reposeful attitude as she sat slowly fanning herself and idly watching the shifting groups in the spacious vestibule her brown brocade gown with its sable collar and bordering made her look like an old picture the aristocratic-looking head with its crown of dark auburn hair rose out of the deep soft fur like a lily out of a cluster of leaves her hazel eyes seemed to have sunlight in their clear darkness she looked utterly calm and happy and assuredly if a husband's devotion could make a wife happy her happiness was well founded such gentle deference such chivalrous affection must be very rare in the history of men and women if i may judge by the stories of domestic misery that i have heard and by the few married couples i have known there is the dear old rector for instance a delightful being for all the world outside the rectory but a pestilence to his wife there is dr tyso always grumbling about his dinner and wanting to have the cook discharged instantly if a joint is not roasted to a turn then there is dr talbot a man in whom society delights but who is always irritable or out of spirits at home whose sudden appearance in the drawing-room casts a cloud over his family and seems palpably to chill the atmosphere no in my brief experience i never saw the perfect and ideal husband whom we occasionally meet in a novel till i saw my mother's husband uncle ambrose he is not a bit like rochester though he has rochester's commanding intellect he is more like a spiritualized john halifax and i who have known him all my life know that his placid temper is no honeymoon garb to be put off by and by i who have known him all my life know that he is the most delightful companion the most unselfish and sympathetic friend a man always abreast with every intellectual movement of the age a man rich in resources keenly interested in art and science as well as in dry learning 
there never was a son less like his father than cyril he is as much unlike in temperament as he is in person uncle ambrose is all thought cyril is all action he is like my own dear father in his energy and movement as full of life and activity as if there were quicksilver in his veins he is eager for knowledge but he loves best the knowledge that comes to him from the lips of men the knowledge that can be gained amidst the life and movement of the big busy world cyril is not the least like anybody's ideal he would never serve as a model for the hero of a novel yet in spite of the absence of the poetic element cyril is very nice and one cannot help liking him he sings delightfully he is always gay and bright although he affects to have exhausted every pleasure he is the most inquisitive person i have ever met with always wanting to know everything about everybody he is generally considered good-looking indeed some people insist upon calling him handsome he has grey eyes in which the light sparkles and dances when he is amused at anything he has curly brown hair hair which curls obstinately however closely it is cropped very pretty hair hair which suggests the poetical temperament a suggestion which cyril certainly does not realize he has a sharp inquisitive nose he calls mine tip-tilted and i am sure he has the same upward inclination but it is a very nice nose all the same and it has no affinity to the snub or the pug he is tall and slim with moderately broad shoulders and quick active movements and he always dresses well i believe he considers himself an authority upon dress and he is certainly very severe upon other people i took his arm and we went out into the drizzling rain there were a great many shops open late as it was and they looked lovely but my mind was too full of serious things for me to be easily distracted take me first to look at the cathedral i said and then take me into some solitary place where we can talk quietly gracious madam what an alarming request he cried i think we had better get the sacristan and his keys and go down into the crypt where st charles borromeo lies in his silver shrine i cannot conceive any other place solemn enough to match the solemnity of your tone don't laugh at me cyril i am very serious he looked down at me with a startled inquisitive air what is it daisy he said very sharply almost angrily a love affair no 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 there is nothing further from my thoughts to-night than love i am glad to hear it when a young lady is an heiress and something of a feather-head into the bargain one is easily alarmed you have no right to call me a feather-head when your father one of the cleverest men in europe has educated me i said indignantly my dearest child book-learning is not wisdom he answered and a grain of worldly knowledge is sometimes more useful than a pound of book knowledge i know that you are far in advance of the average girl in your acquaintance with european literature i know that you have read more than some college dons and that you are an excellent linguist and altogether deeply darkly beautifully blue but all the same you have not learnt the alphabet of the world in which you live all that kind of knowledge has yet to come it is a hateful kind of knowledge i said angrily my child you can't get on without it he answered with his superior air we were in the great open place in front of the cathedral by this time and i stood breathless with wonder looking up at that matchless building i have been told since that the exterior which looked so lovely in the bright white light against a background of dull grey is over-rich in decoration that those innumerable statues of saints and martyrs angels and archangels priests and prophets are a waste of power 
but to my uneducated eye there was not a touch of the chisel that seemed superfluous not a niche or pinnacle that did not seem a necessary part of the vast scheme of splendour i told cyril what i thought as we walked slowly up and down surveying the mighty church from different points of view and then we crossed the square and he took me through the lofty bright-looking arcade and then into a quieter part of the city beyond the great opera house and leonardo's statue here the houses were large and palatial and there were no more shops and very few people walking about now daisy for this confidence of yours which is not about love he said kindly i want you to tell me all you know and all you think about my father's murder i said what they have told you then nobody has told me i heard two men talking about my mother and her first husband and their talk revealed the secret that had been kept from you so carefully hard lines i am glad i know it was hateful to be kept in the dark loving my father as i did dear child what good can it do you to know only this good that i can look forward to the day when his murderer will be discovered and punished i am afraid that day will never come daisy a pursuit that failed seven years ago is not likely to succeed hereafter your mother offered first five hundred and then a thousand pounds reward for the conviction of the murderer and some of the sharpest brains in london were engaged in the attempt to find him they failed ignominiously and i take it there is only one chance of his being brought to book and that is his being arrested for some new crime the cool deliberation with which the deed was done the quiet way in which the man got off and disposed of his plunder argues the professional murderer he may commit more murders in the course of his professional career and sooner or later his work may be clumsily done or his luck may change and then perhaps when the rope is round his neck he may confess himself the murderer of your father tell me all you know about the man and the crime my dearest child i know very little he said seven years ago i was at winchester a careless young scoundrel thinking more of cricket and football and of my chances of a scholarship than of my friends although i think you must know that i loved your mother and your father next in this world to my own father and the dear old grandad in radnorshire seven years ago my father was a poor man and i was ever so much more ambitious and ever so much more willing to work than i have been since he came into his fortune i'm afraid i was a selfish young beggar in those days but i felt the shock of your father's death very deeply in spite of my egotism i was mentally stunned by the blow when i took up the london paper and saw that my father's friend had been murdered and thought of the desolation in that happy home the misery of that once happy wife river lawn was my ideal home daisy i had never been able to picture to myself a fairer domestic life than that of your father and mother with my sweet brown-eyed daisy flitting about in the foreground like a ray of sunshine incarnate if you had changed into anything it would have been into a sun-ray i felt the full force of the catastrophe daisy and i devoured the account of the inquest but the details have grown dim in my memory i only know that your father was lured into a shabby lodging upon some shallow pretence and there murdered and robbed of nearly four thousand pounds and then he argued with me as my stepfather had argued he tried to make me think that the history of my father's death was a history which i ought to forget he used almost the same words that uncle ambrose had used at lucerne when my heart was bursting with grief and indignation nothing that either could say had any power to alter my feelings 
cyril and i walked for a long time in those narrow streets of tall stone houses with great sculptured doorways and here and there the glimpse of a garden seen dimly through a vaulted arch i shall never think of the city of milan as long as i live without thinking of my father's ghastly death or without recalling the dreary sense of helplessness that came upon me last night as i walked by cyril's side and heard his sophistical arguments in favour of oblivion to-morrow we go to verona city of many memories and after a day or two devoted to medieval architecture we go on to venice the dream city uncle ambrose has given me half a dozen books about the city of the doges to read at my leisure and he is always ready with his own storehouse of information which seems to me to hold more than all the books that were ever written he has a memory equal to lord macaulay's i verily believe ten daisy's diary in venice charles dickens unfailing artistic instinct was never truer than when he described this city as a dream it is a dream a dream in marble and precious stones and gold a dream lying on the bosom of the blue bright sea a dream of shadowy streets where every glimpse of garden seen above a decaying wall which once was splendid has a look of fairyland oh those little bits of greenery an orange tree an aloe or two how they tell where all the chief beauty of the place is in marble uncle ambrose laughed at me once because i screamed with delight at the vision of a bowy orange tree nodding over an angle of wall in one of those narrow canals where the sun hardly enters the green leaves and waving branches seemed strangely beautiful amidst that wonder-world of stone we stayed for a week at danielli's and now we are in an apartment of our own on the first floor of a palace which is next door but one to desdemona's house the house in which she was born and reared i suppose and from which she fled with her tawny warrior she was about my age i believe but much simpler and more confiding than i am i don't think i should ever fall in love with a famous soldier for telling long stories about his fights and his travels unless he were of a fairly presentable complexion poor little desdemona i gaze up at her windows every day from my gondola and wonder which was her nursery window and which her schoolroom and whether her mother was a more agreeable person than her father i wonder by the way what kind of father shakespeare had judging by old capulet brabantio and one or two other specimens i should conclude that the wool-stapler glover or butcher of stratford-on-avon was not the most indulgent or amiable of parents the shakespearean idea of paternal government is not alluring we have been nearly four months in venice and have seen the city under many and widely different aspects we have had days and weeks of almost summer brightness we have had intervals of wind and rain and wintry gloom we have visited every nook and corner of the city have seen every picture and every shrine have read and re-read and in some instances understood our ruskin we have explored the neighbouring islands we have dawdled away sunny days on the lido we know the armenian convent by heart and cyril has reproached me with having established what he calls a system of flirtage with the dearest old monk in the world how full this region is of memories of byron and how prodigious an influence a poet can exercise over the minds of men when he has been lying half a century in his grave we think and talk of byron at every turn in the doge's palace on the bridge of sighs on the lido where he used to take his morning ride on the staircase where marino faliero's noble head rolled down the blood-stained marble to testify for all time to the ingratitude of nations in the convent where he spent such happy innocent hours learning the armenian language 
everywhere one finds the traces of his footsteps or the shadows which his genius clothed with beauty mother is growing tired of venice no that is impossible nobody could ever weary of a place so full of loveliness a place whose every face is poetry incarnate in marble she is not tired of venice but she begins to weary for home the familiar house and gardens she loves so well where every room and every pathway and tree and shrub are interwoven with the history of her happy married life the days before calamity came upon us i think i can understand her feelings almost as well as if she and i were indeed what we have sometimes been taken to be i think i can read my mother's heart as well as if she were my sister i believe she is happy with uncle ambrose i believe that his society is as delightful to her as it is to me that his chivalrous devotion gratifies her as it would any woman upon earth i believe that she is grateful to him and fond of him and that she has never repented and is never likely to repent her second marriage but all the same do i know that her heart goes back to the old love i found her a few days ago sitting with my father's photograph on the table before her she was sitting looking at it with clasped hands and tears streaming down her cheeks she was so absorbed in sad thoughts that she did not hear me enter the room or leave it she was talking of river lawn in the evening and i fancied that her mind had been dwelling on the old happy days and that even in the midst of this beautiful city she felt sad and lonely she has seemed all at once to grow languid and listless and to feel no more interest in scenes and buildings whose interest seems inexhaustible to me i only hope she is not ill i have questioned her but she assures me there is nothing the matter she never was in better health but she is haunted by visions of the old home where so much of her life has been spent i dreamt of your father's grave last night daisy she said i dream of it so often so often i could not tell her that i too had had my dreams not of the grave but of my father himself horrible dreams sometimes filled with vague shapes and unknown faces i had seen my father struggling with his murderer i had seen the cruel blow struck but i had never been able to remember the murderer's face when i awoke though it seemed sometimes in my dream to be a face well known to me i can see that uncle ambrose is perplexed and uneasy about my mother and he too seems to have become indifferent to titian and paul veronese this being so i am thrown upon cyril for society in my rambles and explorations and he and i go roaming about these delicious waters in our gondola our own gondola built on purpose for us and to be sent to england after our return how surprised beatrice reardon and all the rest of them will be to see us in this mysterious-looking boat with its swan-like prow and black curtains a boat which seems to have been designed on purpose for mystery and romance my good old berkshire nurse and maid goes everywhere with me as a kind of duenna and exists in a perpetual state of wonder i doubt if she is altogether awakened to the loveliness of venice and indeed she told me the other day that she could not think much of a city which had not one broad street in it milan she admitted was a fine town but verona she considered a whole and she considers venice decidedly inferior to henley i like the rialto bridge miss daisy she said because there's a bit of life there with the shops and the people and i like the shops in st mark's square though i should like them better if the shopkeepers didn't stand at their doors and tout for customers which is an annoyance when one wants to look at things in peace and hasn't no thought of buying anything but even that isn't up to the palais royal in paris 
it will be seen therefore that broomfield's tastes are essentially modern poor soul she is so patient and so good-tempered in going about with me to churches and odd out-of-the-way corners that haven't the faintest interest for her she stands smiling blandly at the pictures and statues while cyril and i are deep in our hair or our ruskin peering into every detail cyril is capital he has an ardent love of art and indeed he seems to like everything that i like we have long confidential talks about ourselves and other people about the past and the future how strange that one so rarely talks of the present as we sit in our gondola lazily gliding over the sunlit water scarcely conscious of the movement of the boat sometimes we talk french sometimes italian in which i am anxious to attain facility it is one thing to be able to read dante i find and another to express one's own thoughts easily the language we talk makes very little difference to broomfield who sits poring over her daily telegraph or knitting one of those everlasting woollen comforters which she provides for her numerous nephews and nieces cyril and i are as much by ourselves as if broomfield were one of those sculptured seraphim which the israelites used to have in their houses to symbolize the deity they worshipped cyril's oxford days are over he has taken his degree and has i believe done very well though he has not swept the board he tells me like mr gladstone or mr goldwyn smith as he intended to do when he was at winchester and now he has to think of what he shall do with his life i think i shall go to the bar he said because a man ought to have a profession of some kind and i rather like the idea of the bar followed in due course by the bench and the bar has advantages for a man who does not want to be a slave in the golden years of youth the bar is a profession in which a man can take it easy i am afraid cyril has a slight inclination to idleness or rather perhaps that he has a distaste for any systematic and monotonous work he is far too active and energetic to waste his days in laziness but he likes to occupy himself according to the caprice of the hour and then no doubt he is influenced by the knowledge that his father is a rich man and he an only child we were talking the other day about uncle ambrose's fortune and his most eccentric indifference to wealth which would have been such a delightful surprise to most men in his position i found out a most extraordinary fact connected with my father's inheritance said cyril a fact which reveals an indifference that is really abnormal an american i met at oxford got into conversation with me about my connection with america through my father's kinsman he told me that old matthew arden of chicago died early in april seventy two and that as his property was all of a most simple and obvious character my father must have passed into possession of it within a month or two after his death now i distinctly remember that the first i heard of the change in our circumstances was on all saints day when i went home from winchester for twenty-four hours holiday my father told me then that a great-uncle with whom he had kept up an occasional correspondence had lately died in america an old bachelor and a man of considerable wealth accumulated in trade and that he had appointed my father the residuary legatee i was a great deal more excited by the change from poverty to wealth than he was i never saw a man so unmoved by the idea of large means or so indifferent to the things that money can buy that indifference has never been lessened but i believe now that he has a wife and daughter to think about he will take more pleasure out of his wealth and spend money royally i hear of a house in grosvenor square which has been bought and is being renovated in the adamesque style we are all so fond of a house in town would be rather nice i said but i hope uncle ambrose does not mean to take us too much away from lamford that is the home i love in spite of its sorrowful associations 
yes i don't want to forget my father i think to try and forget the loss of one we love is only a selfish way of pleasing ourselves at the cost of our dead we owe a duty to our beloved dead the duty of long remembrance i had heard a good deal about the house in grosvenor square and had seen sketches of the rooms and their decoration there were to be occasional departures from the adamesque character notably in the hall and the staircase and the room on the half-flight these were to be moorish with a good deal of perforated sandalwood and oriental drapery i heard my mother discussing the colouring and decoration with uncle ambrose and i was often called into council but i was just now too completely steeped in the loveliness of venice to take a very warm interest in any london house what i sighed for was one of those fifteenth-century palaces which i saw given over to business purposes manufactories for carved furniture or venetian glass storehouses showrooms workshops palaces in which painters like titian had lived and worked palaces where the walls still show the armorial bearings of historic families oh to think that the roof which once sheltered a doge should ever be vulgarized by trade cyril laughs at my horror of trade and reminds me that venice in the days of her greatest splendour was a city of traders and that now she is dependent on reviving commerce for her resurrection from poverty and decay yesterday cyril and i had a grand excursion all to ourselves or with only my duenna broomfield to make a third dear old broomfield who always looks the other way when we are talking confidentially i dare say she wonders what we can find to talk about first in one language and then in another cyril's italian is of the poorest quality by the way and very limited in quantity but he pretends that he likes to hear me talk and he pretends to understand me our chief confidences however are in french a language in which he is quite at home indeed here it is i who am at fault for to tease me he often persists in talking parisian which is quite a different tongue to the french in which racine and boileau wrote we started early on a morning that was more like june than february we had our own gondola and our two men looking deliciously picturesque in their black livery and yellow silk scarves they are both dear creatures and have become a part of our family paolo is a bachelor and he is to accompany the gondola to lamford and live and die in our service but giovanni has a wife and two babies so we do not import him it will be an agonizing moment when i have to bid him good-bye i save my dessert every night after dinner and give it to him next morning for his bambini and his face becomes one broad grin of delight when i hand him my little offering one could not venture upon such childishness with the thames waterman whose only idea of kindness from his superiors begins and ends with beer we had a most delightful picnic basket enough for the whole party and we were to go to torcello and to be free till sunset oh how like a fairy-tale it was to go gliding over that blue lagoon passing murano and its chimneys and burano and its lace factory and gliding on and on by willow-shaded banks till we came to all that is left of the mother city of venice we landed in a narrow creek among sedges and alders and long rank grass and i could have almost thought i was in a backwater at home but within a few paces of our landing-place stood the octagonal church of santa fosca and the museum which calls itself a municipal palace and just behind them the cathedral very plain of aspect outside but grand and beautiful within after a very conscientious visitation of the two churches and a rather superficial examination of the marble relics in the museum we went in quest of a picturesque spot for our picnic 
and having found a bower of alders on the edge of the meadows where the cattle were feeding quietly in the sweet flowery grass on ground that was once the city of torcello we lunched as it were tete-a-tete with the adriatic for in front of us we could see nothing but the bright blue waters and the painted sails of some fishing-boats shining crimson and purple and orange in the noonday light we lingered long over the delicious meal in air that was far more exhilarating than the champagne which cyril persuaded me to taste and which he himself drank with much gusto i told him that i thought it a horrid thing to see a young man drinking champagne and pretending to be a severe judge of the particular vintage i considered such a taste odiously suggestive of some overfed alderman feasting in the city you will be talking turtle next i said why you silly puss we often have turtle at our lunches in tom quad said he do you suppose we wait for grey hairs and red roses before we learn to appreciate the good things of this life an undergrad is as good a judge of turtle and champagne as any alderman who ever passed to the luxuries of mansion house through a long apprenticeship to boiled beef and beer we sent broomfield off to find our gondoliers while we two wandered along the edge of that verdant shore with our feet almost in the sea now we have lost sight of the churches we might almost fancy ourselves on a desert island said i i only wish the fancy were true said he i should revel in a spell of summer idleness on a desert island if we had only enough to eat that last condition takes the poetry out of the whole thing answered i oh but you would not have us left to starve until we began to look at each other and wonder which bit was the nicest or the least nasty no that idea is too awful it is one of the dreadful mysteries of human degradation that we can never understand till we are brought face to face with death oh it is so dreadful to think that the mere blind clinging to life can change men into wild beasts and yet the thing happens you have filled me with horror by the mere suggestion daisy you have too vivid an imagination you look at me as if you saw the potentiality of cannibalism depicted in my countenance you and i will visit no island more savage than prospero's and there it seems there was always enough to eat prospero was an enchanter sir and miranda was an enchantress for ferdinand at least over him she flung earth's most potent spell will you be my miranda daisy we were standing on that quiet shore the waves curling azure and emerald and silvery bright up to our very feet we were as much alone as ferdinand and miranda can ever have been on their enchanted isle and he had the supreme impertinence to put his arm around my waist i believe that kind of thing has happened to beatrice reardon almost as often as the toothache and my cousin flora has told me that it is sometimes done at dances in a conservatory where there are palms and tree ferns after supper but such a thing has never occurred to me and it took my breath away be my miranda daisy he went on in such a charming voice that i forgot to be angry with him or at any rate forgot to express my indignation let me be your ferdinand and all the world will be my enchanted island it is the fairy who makes the spell i don't quite follow your meaning i said stupefied by amazement at his audacity oh daisy what a horrid thing to say he exclaimed evidently hurt i thought you were romantic and full of poetry and you answer me as if you were made of wood he took his arm away from my waist in a huff i believe if he had left it there any longer he would have given me an angry pinch his whole countenance changed 
i can't quite understand you cyril i said very meekly i thought you and i were to be brother and sister you know you thought nothing of the kind miss you refused to accept my father as a father or to call him by that name you told me very distinctly on the wedding day that i was not to have the privileges of a brother and i replied that i had no desire to stand upon that footing and now that the happiest months of my life have been spent with you now that i am over head and ears in love you pretend not to understand you make believe to be stupid and apathetic it is very cruel more cruel than words can say if you have been fooling me all this time i don't know exactly what i said after this i think i must have apologized for my stupidity for he certainly forgave me and put his arm round my waist again and kissed me not in the boisterous sort of way that he kissed me in the carriage after mother's wedding but gently and even timidly so that i could not find it in my heart to be angry are these my miranda's lips he asked and i think i said that it might be so if he pleased and then we went slowly 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 back to the creek where we had left the gondola and i believe we were engaged broomfield looked at us in a most extraordinary way when we took our seats opposite her as if she really guessed what had happened which was hardly possible our dear good men had eaten an enormous luncheon and they sang their delightful songs all the way back to venice the sun soon began to steep everything in gold islands water distant mountains and the wonderful city towards which we were going and the painted sails of the fishing-boats and the clouds floating in the azure sky azure that changed into opal gold that changed to crimson as the bell tower of st george the greater rose out of the level tide and the lamps on the piazza began to gleam like a string of diamonds cyril is a very impetuous person and before we sat down to dinner he had told uncle ambrose and mother that he and i were engaged that he would not forfeit that privilege to be the doge if the ducal power of venice were to be revived to-morrow late in the evening mother came into my room and sat with me for nearly an hour by the wood-fire she told me that nothing would please her better than that cyril and i should love each other well enough to take upon ourselves the most solemn tie this earth knows her seriousness made me very serious and almost frightened me i am pleased that you should be engaged even earlier than i was daisy she said and that you should not be hardened and spoilt by the experience of the world where girls learn to be selfish and vain and self-seeking i am pleased that you should be engaged to your first lover in the very freshness and dawn of your life it is too early to think about marrying but a year or two hence oh not for ever so many years i cried pray don't talk about getting rid of me i want to stay with you mother you are all in all to me you are not tired of me are you tired no my darling it will be a sad day for me when my bright bird leaves the home nest but i married very young daisy and my wedded life was all gladness an engagement should not last too long even when the lovers are as young as you and cyril two years will be quite long enough in two years you will be nearly twenty that sounds dreadfully ancient said i for indeed it seems that one has done with youth when one is out of one's teens mother gave me her small pearl necklace on my thirteenth birthday and i was so proud of myself and thought myself quite a personage because i was in my teens and now here she was talking coolly about my soon being twenty and old enough to be turned out of doors two years will be no time i told her i would rather be engaged for ten so that i may stay at river lawn with you 
who knows dearest if you need ever leave river lawn she answered sweetly i have always thought the french much wiser than we in their domestic arrangements because they are not afraid to keep their children under the family roof when they are married and thus the bond of parentage grows stronger instead of weaker and the little children of the third generation grow up at the feet of the old people i have heard englishmen say that this plan can never succeed with us and if so one cannot help thinking that there must be some want of affection in the english heart now in your case daisy there is every reason that your married life should be spent in your mother's home since you are to marry my stepson dearest dearest mother i exclaimed giving her a hug which would have done credit to a young she-bear how sweet and how wise you are i am very glad i accepted cyril i see now that he is just the very best husband i could have chosen my darling how lightly you talk said mother almost reproachfully your stepfather and i are naturally pleased that you and cyril should have chosen each other but that is not enough not nearly enough nothing is enough unless you love him truly and devotedly with your whole heart and mind as i loved your father i suppose i like him as well as i could like anybody i answered rather frightened at her grave looks and earnest words liking is not enough well perhaps i love him i know i have been very happy with him ever since we came here so happy as to forget every idea of sorrow or trouble in the world i said checking myself confusedly for the thing that i had forgotten more than i ever thought i could forget was the dark story of my father's death i have been quite abandoned to happiness but i don't know how much venice may have had to do with that and whether i shall care quite as much for cyril when we get back to lamford my love be serious urged mother looking painfully grave seriously then i believe i love him as well as i shall ever love anybody daisy you talk like a coquette and not like an earnest woman dearest don't be shocked with me it all seemed like a dream or a fairy-tale to-day when cyril and i stood on the beach in the sunshine with the waves making music at our feet if you had heard how lightly he asked me to be his wife indeed he never once mentioned the word you would not wonder that i am inclined to speak half in jest about this solemn business let us take the situation lightly mother and if after a year or two we should happen to grow tired of each other why we can apologize and drop back into the position of brother and sister no daisy that will not do there must be no engagement there must be no semblance of a bond between you unless you and he are both sure of your hearts no he burlas con el amor good night dear pray to god for guidance remember marriage means forever as a bond or as a stigma it marks a woman's life to the end i felt miserable after she had left me but i did what she told me to do i knelt down and prayed to be guided and led in the right way led to choose the fate that should be best for my own happiness and for my mother's the thought that i need never leave home if cyril were my husband made him seem to me the most perfect husband i could have scarcely had i risen from my knees when i heard the distant dip of oars and the music of a guitar and a couple of mandolins accompanying the song cyril and i are so fond of the sounds came nearer slowly growing out of the still night the melodious splish-splash of the oars the silvery tinkling of the mandolins the deeper tones of the guitar and a fine baritone voice which i fancied i knew will they pass will they stay i asked myself throwing open my window and hiding myself behind the velvet curtain where i could see without fear of being seen 
the moon was near the full and all the palaces upon the opposite bank were bathed in silvery light and along the broad open canal a gondola came gliding lit with coloured lanterns which danced and trembled in the soft breeze it came nearer and nearer till it stopped under my window and then the mandolins and guitar played a familiar symphony and the voice i knew very well began schubert's gut nacht he it was cyril of course sang the serenade beautifully music is one of his greatest talents inherited from his mother for i doubt if uncle ambrose could distinguish god save the queen from robin adair he sang that lovely melody to perfection or it seemed perfection on the moonlit canal with those fantastic chinese lanterns trembling in the soft sweet wind i feel assured it was on just such a night as this that desdemona eloped with her moor when he had sung the last notes and the mandolins had tinkled into silence he stood looking up at my window as if he were waiting for some token of approval what desdemona would have done under the same circumstances floated upon me in an instant i crept to the mantelpiece and chose a lily from the vase of flowers and still hidden by the curtain flung it out of the window he caught it very cleverly and then after a pause the oars dipped and the mandolins began to play the serenade from don pasquale and the gondola moved slowly slowly down the canal he singing as it went i wonder if the other inhabitants of venice considered him a nuisance there was a man at the table d'hote at danielli's who called venice a smelly place that was all he had to say about the most enchanting city in the world such a man as that would be sure to object to a serenade cyril and i were solemnly engaged this morning we were plighted and pledged to each other for life and when we marry we are to have our own suite of rooms in grosvenor square the whole of the third floor which is to be decorated and furnished according to my taste this means that cyril and i are to choose everything for of course i should not be such a selfish wretch as to choose without deferring to him at river lawn we are to have the east wing and mother will build more rooms if we ever fancy we want them and the gondola is to be ours the gondola in which cyril sang last night i feel as if the gondola were a personal friend End of chapters nine and ten